I'm reading in the book of Revelation, and of course this has taken a lot of extra time this morning, but it's been worth it and it's needed. And so that means I'm going to have to preach fast, and like my dad used to say, you're going to have to listen fast. Amen. Praise God. In Revelation 12, verse 10, beginning, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants or inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. I realize that the book of Revelation can be very confusing to a lot of people, and I hope to bring some clarity to this passage today and also give you some insight into how to view and interpret some of the other passages in Revelation. In James 4 and 7, I also read, Therefore, submit to God. Say that with me. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. My message today is warfare prayers. It's the fourth in the series of strategic prayers. Devotional prayers, devotional prayers, sorry, are those that are of a nature that they affect your relationship with God. They're vertical. Strategic prayers affect what's going on around you. I want to begin by pointing out the Bible is an extraordinary book. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God is alive. That's what it says, alive. And that's because God is living. And he and his word are inseparable. John 1 and 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word, listen to this, was God. Anthony and I were talking about that recently. You can't divide God from his word. Every word he speaks is alive. Amen. Jewish people know this. You might not realize it, but you know how when people, their Bible wears out, if they still carry an actual Bible to church and it gets old and worn out, they might just leave it at church. Years ago, there used to be like a collection box of Bibles where you could go if you needed one and get one that somebody had left. <laughs> At church, never claimed again. Jewish people don't do that. They have the Torah and it's kept out the house of God. And when it gets old and damaged and can't be repaired, they literally put it in a casket, conduct a funeral for it and bury it in the cemetery. And they transfer the life that is in the word of God from the one that is damaged to the one they're now going to be using. The Bible is like that. One of the things that makes the Bible so incredible is not only that it is alive, but because it is alive, it has myriads of levels of meaning. Myriads of levels within a single verse. Each of them can add profound value to your life. I never tire of studying this book. 
And what's really amazing at a human level, this fascinates me, is that none of those meanings will contradict each other, which would certainly not be the case if the Bible was of human origin. There would be contradictions right and left. I'll give you an example before I get into my subject this morning. Just the other day in my personal devotions, I read Psalm 22 and verse 1 we're all familiar with. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what David cried out. So the first level of understanding is the plain meaning of the text. What do the words actually mean? And clearly, David is distressed and feels abandoned. He wasn't because God never leaves us. That's a promise of scripture. But then also consider that David actually prayed that prayer in a real-time situation that he was going through. Probably, we don't know it for sure, but at the hands of King Saul and his henchmen. So that's the real-time application. But this verse can also speak to us as well because you and I go through things and we read that and we too can feel forsaken. How many of you have ever been at that point in life where you felt you were alone? Can I I see your hand? If you can't raise your hand, you haven't lived long enough yet. You'll get there someday. Amen. I promise you, you will. And so that's the present day application. The direct personal application. But then there's the historical application. And that is the way that this verse has been used from the time that David wrote it until now. For example, the Jewish people were carried into Babylon at the captivity of the, of the Jewish nation and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And they prayed that prayer in Babylon for 70 years. Why have you forsaken us? Jewish rabbis tell us that Esther, while she was walking down the hall of idols to go see King Ahasuerus to plead for her people. There were idols that lined both sides of the hallway. That she felt utterly abandoned and she didn't feel the assurance of God while she walked down that hallway. And she prayed this prayer as she walked toward the throne room where she knew in moments she would die if he did not extend the scepter in his hand. She thought she had been abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me and your people? God hadn't forsaken her any more than he had forsaken David or any more than he has forsaken you. He never will. He had already, in fact, prepared King Ahasuerus' heart. And the moment she walked in, he extended that scepter and he ended up granting her request. But then in addition to that, the 22nd Psalms is a messianic psalm. It speaks about the coming of Christ. And it even goes so far as to be prophetic in that it gives us a thousand years before the words came from the mouth of Christ on the cross. The very words he uttered before he died. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With the burden of the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders. And so there is also the exhortational application. Because I can use this verse to encourage others and I've been encouraged Because of reading this verse. So you have the plain meaning of the text. You have the real time application. You have the direct personal application. You have the historical application. The messianic application. You have the prophetic application. And the exhortational application. That's seven applications in one verse. Just one. And what's amazing about this. Is that 
Jewish rabbis say that every word of God actually has 70 faces and 600 levels of interpretation. (laughs) That's why this book never gets old to me. It is astonishing in its profundity and its depth. And today I'm going to unpack just one of the meanings of our text from Revelation 12. And it's one that's very relevant to what's happening. John saw Satan cast down to the earth and he was furious. He was enraged because he knew that his time was short. Well, anybody that knows anything about the teachings of scripture realize that we are bumping up against the last days and the end of time right now. And Satan is clearly angry and at work. I mean, look around you if you don't believe that. Two years of COVID, Russia has now invaded the Ukraine. Putin is threatening World War III, put his nuclear arsenal on the highest stage of alertness. And now other nations are getting involved. The Israeli prime minister is even holding peace talks with Putin and the prime minister of the Ukraine. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Maybe you don't even know it, but the Bible speaks about a seven-year peace treaty involving Israel in the last days. That is an absolute sign of the end of time. Amen. China and Russia, after all these years, have become allies. China is eyeing Taiwan. Just yesterday said that if the West intervenes, that it will unleash catastrophe like the West has never seen before. North Korea's testing ballistic missiles last week. South Korea fired on a North Korean ship that ventured, and we're not so sure it ventured, it probably did it deliberately, into South Korean waters. And on and on. Times are insane. And all I can say is, you know that guy that they thought, everybody's thinking we all get our degrees and all go to university, the world's going to be great because the problem is a lack of education. Well, whoever dreamed that up needs to be fired. Because this is the most educated time that man has lived in and we're in the most serious danger we've ever been in. Just not working. You can't leave the Prince of Peace out of the process. You're not going to create a utopia without God. Amen. But I thank God that no matter what happens... We can do all things through Christ to strengthen us. We have the victory in Jesus. Amen. We do. And so the question is, how do we deal with all of this effectively? First thing is, and I want you to pay close attention. Look at your neighbor and say, are you ready? Come on, look at him. Are you ready? Tell him it's going to be profound. Okay. First thing is, don't go around blaming the devil for everything. <laughs> don't. Have you noticed how some folks do that? Every problem they encounter, it's always the devil. The devil made me do it. It was the devil hiding under that bush. There's a devil under that table. There's a devil and everything is always the devil. And you know what that often is? It's an inability to accept responsibility. For your own decisions. Amen. So stop saying it was the devil if it was you. Stop making decisions that blow up your own life. Take responsibility for your own actions. Second point. Having said that. We do have to deal with opposition from the spirit realm. It's real. 
How, do you rem- how many of you remember when you went to school and that somebody would write, you know, hit me, slap me on a piece of paper and take a piece of tape and stick it to the back of your, your shirt or your dress. Y'all remember that? And you keep getting hit every time you turn around. Somebody's hitting. And finally you go. And you got it on your back. Hit me. How many of you ever felt like the devil stuck a sign on your back that said, hit me? Amen. There really is something to spiritual opposition. You face some things that can only be explained as spiritual warfare. Not everything, but you face some things. I came here. I'd only had a little accident one time when my dad was driving. I'd never been in an automobile accident, but my... I came here and promptly was rear-ended eight times by people doing as fast as 75 miles an hour when I was sitting still. I had several cars completely destroyed. Laminectomies, discectomies, spinal fusions, four fused in my neck, lumbar region, Surgery, surgery, surgery. I think the last time I counted, I can't even keep it straight anymore. I think it was 32 surgical procedures. You name it. Been there, done that, paralysis, all of that kind of stuff. You simply cannot attribute that kind of thing to chance. I mean, is there anybody else that's been rear-ended eight times in the building? No? No? Amen. I don't think I need to tell you. But don't, don't, don't tell anybody. They were all women drivers too. No, I didn't say that. That was politically incorrect. Shame on you. Don't you do that again. Amen. No, I'm just stating the simple realities. Amen. You can't combat stuff like that in the flesh. You have to be able to discern there's a spiritual cause and you have to deal, watch this, with the power behind the problem. If you spend all of your time trying to address the problem, you're not going to get anywhere. Deal with the power behind the problem. In my case, the prayer ministry, the team of intercessors encircled me in prayer. Not only literally, but also prayed for me day after day. And then they took stakes and they wrote verses of scripture on them, such as that God is a wall of fire round about me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. And they came to my house and with a sledgehammer drove stakes that long down into the ground. You say, what good does that do? Well, I'll tell you what it did. I haven't had one since. You can say what you want to. There is a devil that respects the word of God almighty. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the anointing of God in this room right now. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah. Third point. Knowing how to do spiritual warfare in prayer is of vital importance today. That's because the enemy continues to seek to steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters to you. He's on a rampage. He's on a tear. Amen. But the good news, and this is point number four, is that we have weapons from God that are mighty. I wish somebody would shout the word mighty. 
They're, they're weapons that are not of this natural realm. 2 Corinthians 10.4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. When you're in God, you've got some stuff that's mighty and they're for pulling down strongholds. We actually have many weapons. I could name a few. The blood, the name of Jesus, the word of God, faith, fasting. Hello, somebody. Forgiveness. The Apostle Paul even tells us that giving is a form of spiritual warfare, a powerful weapon. Amen. But one of the most powerful, and this is on the subject of prayers, warfare prayers. Warfare prayers. And you need to know how to do that. In his model prayer, Jesus actually talked about warfare prayers. Matthew 6, 13. He said, when you pray, that you should pray that we are not led into temptation But he said we should pray this. Deliver us from the evil one. Say it. Deliver us from the evil. There's one that is evil. And he's got a whole bunch of henchmen that work with him. Let me take a little side trip here for just a few moments. The enemy literally gives demonic spirits territorial assignments. And those are not only geographical. They have to do with certain spheres of activity in life as well. In Mark 5, there is this remarkable story where Christ and the disciples are crossing over the sea in a boat. Jesus goes to sleep in the stern of the boat. And all of a sudden, a storm blows up. They're about to sink. The disciples are, ah, help us, Lord. We're about to sink. Don't you care that we perish? We're about to die. Jesus wakes up, rebukes the storm instantly. Sea is like glass. They come to the other side. And as the boat crunches up against the shores of Gadara, here comes this wild, raging, lunatic of a man. He's naked. He has iron fetters on his hands and his ankles where he has snapped chains that the local people have bound him with. And he's screaming and growling and biting. And and Jesus rebukes him and says, What is your name? And the man answers, Legion. I'll get to that in a moment. I can imagine how the disciples were feeling. They just barely made it through a storm. And they're like, whoo, that was close. And now then this, they went from bad to worse, like in a hurry. And Jesus said, what's your name? And when the men said Legion, everybody there knew what that meant. Because the Legion was a a military unit in the Roman army comprised of 6,000 soldiers divided into 10 cohorts. Each cohort numbered six centuria. There were a hundred soldiers in every centuria. And over each centuria, there was a centurion. And that word in the Latin is where we get our word century from, which means 100. And so all these demonic spirits, 6,000 of them resided in this one person. And the principality of the region was there before them. You see... What we may not have realized before is that Christ's entire purpose for crossing the sea and going to Kadera in the first place was to unseat the ruling principality that would not allow the freedom of the gospel and the deliverance of Christ to come into that area. Why do you think the enemy sent a storm? He wanted to kill Jesus before he ever got there. And why do you think the enemy confronts you? He wants to kill you before you ever get to your assignment. 
He wants to put you out of the way, cause you to become discouraged. Lay down your weapons and quit. I need somebody to say, there is no backup in me. I will fulfill the purpose for which God created me. Hallelujah. Your attack is related to your assignment. If you don't have any attacks going on in your life, you need to ask God, God, am I in your will? Amen. But I love this about Jesus too. While he was in the middle of a storm that was clearly designed to come about by the enemy, and this is one reason I do believe the enemy can affect the weather. Why did Jesus rebuke it? There was no need to do that unless the enemy was involved. He just said, okay, win, that's enough. Lay down, behave. He didn't do that. He rebuked it. But I love this about Christ. He was so confident of the outcome in Gadara that he laid down and went to sleep and slept in the middle of the storm that was terrifying everybody else. You need to be so certain about the outcome of your life and your assignment and know where you're going to where the enemy is not able to shake you, deter you, upset you, put you off, make you fear, make you fret, make you spend sleepless nights. You need to let the devil know I got this with God's help. God's got my back. The fifth thing that I would say is that, and I'm having to really hurry. Notice what the demons asked Jesus. When Jesus commanded them to come out, they said, whatever you do, Lord, please don't make us leave this area. That's actually there in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark. Don't make us leave the area. This passage makes it very clear that different principalities seem to have assignments over certain regions. You may have noticed that too in traveling from city to city. A different sense or different feel from one city to the next. You see that also in the book of Daniel. When Daniel prayed and fasted for 21 days, the archangel Michael came and said, Hey, I was coming to see you the first day, but the prince of Persia, air quotes, prince of Persia, stood up and resisted me. Why? Because just like the enemy resisted Jesus in the sea, the prince of Persia knew that a breakthrough was getting ready to come and he tried to stop it before it ever got there. Interestingly enough, that's also, it's also in the book of, of Daniel that the Bible mentions the prince of Greece. There's yet another Ruling political entity, manipulating the puppets on the stage from behind the scenes. Amen. And here's what you really need to know. Satan is not just interested in controlling geography. He wants to control areas of your life. He'll control your morality if you will allow him to. He will control your finances if you allow him to. He will control your mind and your thought life if you allow him to. Hello, somebody. He'll control your marriage, your health. You say, really? Yeah. You remember the lady with the, that, that, that had the, the, the spirit of infirmity? There was no organic reason behind her sickness. It was a spirit of infirmity. The enemy can mimic symptoms and cause things to happen. There is a spirit of poverty. Somebody in this building is learning something that's going to help them get free from some things that have had their family bound 
for a long, long time. Amen. Amen. The sixth point is how do we respond to this? My whole message today is that we have to learn to confront the enemy in prayer. We have to learn how to do warfare prayers. It's not now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord. We got to learn to pray. Amen. That's what Daniel did. Prayed for 21 days. Breakthrough came. That's what Elijah did with the prophets of Baal. That's what others did in the Bible. David did it. Others did as well. We have to. And to do this, we have to remember and keep in mind there are two things that must be observed. And they're found, we begin in the book of James chapter 4 verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. The very first step in warfare prayer is to submit to God in your own life. And then the scripture said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what does that mean? It simply means this. Give no place to the devil in your life to get a foothold. Submit to God. First thing you got to do when you're under attack is close the door the enemy is getting through. We need to stop and take a praise break right there. Somebody needs to join with me and worship the Lord for a moment. Hallelujah. Resist the devil. But the resisting doesn't work if you haven't submitted to God. So if you've got doors open in your life where the enemy is gaining access, you need to close those. What are you watching on TV? What are you watching on your computer? You say you're kind of getting close to where we live right now. Yeah. What kind of thoughts are you thinking during the day? What about your attitude? Amen. Are you trying to reflect Christ in your life and be just like him? How do you treat the people closest to you? How do you treat strangers? Amen. Get your attitude under control. Your attitude determines your altitude. Just a fact of life. Amen. And then after you have closed the doors, figure out what doors are open in your life. Some of those you might not have opened. They may have been opened years ago by family members. But whichever ones you've opened, close them. And then pray for God to show you the ones that somebody else opened in generations gone by and nail those shut and cover them with the blood of Jesus Christ also where the enemy will not get anywhere near that door. And then after you've done that, use your authority to resist the enemy by binding and loosing in the spirit realm. Many people don't understand exactly what that means. It's... A term that's used a whole lot, but one that I fear might not be understood real well. Matthew 16, 19, Jesus tells Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom upon this rock. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, so forth. And he goes on to say, whatever you bind on earth will be, say it, shout it out loud, bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be. Now, the first thing you need to notice where it says heaven, that's a spirit dimension. Whatever you bind on earth, God will bind it in the spirit dimension. Whatever you loose on earth is, oh, Lord, have mercy. That's one of those doors you need to close. Did you feel that? If you've loosed it on earth, it's loosed in the heavenly sphere. 
That's where these attacks come from. Amen. And the second thing you should notice about these verses is that it doesn't say that God will bind it. Doesn't say angels will, Michael will. It said whatever you, you don't bind it. It does not get bound. Hello, somebody. In fact, the Greek word literally means if you bind it. If you don't bind it, it's not bound. And the word bind means to tie and fasten with chains. The lady that had been bound and bent over for 18 years by the enemy could not straighten up. It's the same word that is used there when Christ set her free. He said she had been bound by the enemy. You need to bind the enemy so much he can't even lift his head to look up to see which way he's going. Amen. You can bind the strong man. Final observation about binding and loosing. The authority to do this comes from God, but through the church. Turn to your neighbor and ask, did you hear that? Come on, I need need somebody to really get serious about asking, did you hear that? The authority to bind and loose comes from God through the church. Don't leave out the through the church part. Amen. Matthew 16 is spoken in the context of the promise that Christ will build his church. But many people do not know that Matthew 16, 18 is actually repeated in Matthew 18. Matthew 16 is repeated in Matthew 18. This time it is in the context of healing conflict and dealing with conflict among church members. And in both places, Jesus says the very same thing. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I'm reading it now from Matthew 18, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Say, wait a minute. Didn't you just read that from Matthew 16? Yeah, I did. That's the point. Both of those are in the context of the church. First is the church being built. The second is dealing and resolving Dealing with and resolving conflict among members of a church. Here is the point, and you need to get this. The reason this is so important is that because if you're not connected to and under the covering of the church, you're disconnected from its legal authority to bind and loose in the spirit realm. I should have heard a big amen right there. I'm going to back up. Okay, we're going to lift up the plow, back up, just... Put it in reverse. Y'all ever hear one of those big 18-wheelers get in reverse? I'm backing up right now. Okay, we're going to try it again. Y'all ready? Look at your neighbor. Say, you ready? Amen. The authority to bind or loose is given within the context of you being connected to God's church. If you're not connected to God's church, you have no authority to bind and loose in your life. That's why we need to understand how this thing works. Amen. Amen. You say, you sure about that? Sure enough that I can show you an occasion in the Bible where somebody who wasn't connected to the church tried it and it backfired. Acts 19, 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demonic spirit said, hold on just a minute. Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? 
Amen. And they fled naked and wounded. The authority to bind and loose was in direct connection to being a part of a of the kingdom of God and a local church somewhere apart from God's church. You and the word vagabond there is interesting too because it literally means this in the Greek. I, I know because I looked it up. It means strolling, just out walking around. What you doing? Oh, just out walking around. Amen. You have a church? Nah. Just me and the Lord. Amen. Vacillating. That's literally what it means. It means to stroll, to vacillate, or to wander. Wow. That is huge. That's why this coming Sunday night, I really would love to see everybody who can be here to pray. Because we have an opportunity to gather together to address the powers of darkness. And so... I'm done. I'm finished. The authority to bind and loose is actually given in conjunction with and being connected to the covering of Christ's church to be used for the building of God's kingdom in the earth. Not our kingdom. And when we're out there soloing it, the word picture here that best describes this is when Israel was going through the wilderness, the cloud covered them in the wilderness, but there were stragglers who would fall behind. And they were subject to attack by the enemy. When you're under the covering of an assembly. And if it's not here, then all I'll say is this. We'd love to have you be a part. And if you live within 50 miles, we'll make the decision for you. You can be a part of the church family. But if you're not going to come here, please be connected somewhere. Amen. Can Can I hear somebody say amen? Why? Because the church needs to rally together. It's been the divisiveness in the church that has put us in the precarious situation that we are in around the world right now. And so the members of the body of Christ say, devil, I rebuke you. And he says, I rebuke you right back. Where's your authority? Think about it. I just kind of had the idea that we could see more miracles and more supernatural stuff become a part of our regular experience with God if we'd be connected. This is going to probably make somebody upset. So, okay, I'll just tell you. You say, why are you doing that? Because the average church member now goes to church 1.7 times a month. Yeah, just saying. That's all. Just saying. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Father, help us to be in a position where your divine authority can flow through us. Where we can pray warfare prayers that are effective and powerful and unseat ruling principalities that set themselves up in family trees and genealogies and set themselves up in geographical areas and Lord, I'm asking you to help us release your authority in our lives. If I had time and hadn't had to, to, to and, and we needed to do this, so I'm not complaining. I hadn't had to, to focus on the Ukraine thing, which was very, very important. I'm not minimizing that. I would take you to Psalms 141. I read that this week in my devotions. And the psalmist was literally praying a warfare prayer. 
Please, Lord, come close and come quickly to me and listen to my prayers I call out to you. Let my prayer be as the evening sacrifice that burns like fragrant incense. I love to pray this. This is the, the Passion Translation. Don't recommend using that as your only Bible. It's kind of a paraphrase, but it kind of gets me to where I want to go when I am, I'm praying because I love to pray this back to God. And he goes on to say, God, give me grace to guard my lips from speaking what is wrong. There it is. That's nailing doors shut. Guide me away from temptation and doing evil. Save me from sinful habits and from keeping company with those who are experts in evil. Help me to not share in their sin in any way. And when one of your godly lovers corrects me or one of your faithful one rebukes me, I will accept it like an honor. I cannot refuse. It will be as healing medicine that I swallow without an, an offended heart. Even if they're mistaken, I will continue to pray. And then when the leaders and judges are condemned falling on the rocks of justice, then they'll know my words to them were true. Like an earthquake splits open the, rock, uh, splits open the earth, so the world of hell will open its mouth to swallow their scattered bones. You don't know it, but David has just gone through three, two into the third musical movement of this psalms he begins with praise then he starts closing doors in his own life and then he begins to talk about what the enemy's going to face you're going to be swallowed up by hell do you hear that satan but you are my lord and my god i only have eyes for you what kind of makes me want what was that ruley valley makes me want to do the ruley valley thing i only have eyes for you he got that right out of the word of god well, he didn't know it, but that's where it came from. I hide myself in you, so don't leave me defenseless, God. It's a warfare prayer. Protect me. Keep me from the traps of wickedness they set from me. And let them stumble into their own traps. There it is. He's binding. Let them stumble into their own traps while I escape without a scratch. Somebody needs to stand at their feet and say, I'm going to escape without a scratch. Would you do it right now? going to escape without a scratch devil you're not going to lay a finger on me I'm covered by the blood hallelujah to the lamb of God all of those holes you're digging for me to fall into you're going to fall into it yourself do you hear what I'm telling you devil all that stuff that's going on in the Ukraine is going to blow up in your face it's going to cause people to call for revival for God to get involved it's going to cause God's people to pray and fast. You will regret the day you ever showed up. I want our prayer counselors to come. Amen. Praise God. Now I want to ask you a question. How many, and I'm very serious about this, are under some form of attack right now? Would you raise your hand? Raise it up high, whether it's your marriage. In fact, let's do it like this. Let's take a moment. We took some extra time for the Ukraine, so I'll do it a little bit differently. Okay? If you're under attack in your finances, raise your hands. Okay, got it? Many people. How many of you are under attack 
in your mind, stressed out. Let me see your hand. How many people in the building today are under attack in their family, their home, their marriage, their kids? Come on, raise them up high. What about your job? You might be a business owner. Yeah. Let me ask you this one. Put your hands down. Attack in your relationship with God. The devil's making you doubt who you are. Raise your hands. God doesn't love you. God's not with you. God doesn't care about you. You messed up. God gave up on you. Many hands. Come pray with me. Those of you that raised your hands. Those of you that need to social distance and you feel uncomfortable, you're welcome to stay right where you're at and pray. Or just step out in the aisle. Make a a step in some direction so that I will know where the needs exist. Come. If you're watching this today and you don't know Christ and you're at home or you're in this building, I want you to pray as they come. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I confess my need to you. I need you so much, Lord. I need you more, more than a fish needs the water to swim in or a bird needs the air to fly in. I need you, God, in my life. Save me. Be my Savior, and I trust you right now. And I trust in the power of the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You just prayed that prayer with us. We're going to congratulate you. I'm so glad you did. Let's have a party for just a moment and welcome every one of them that prayed that prayer into the body of Christ. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. Amen. On the screen behind me, you'll see a QR code. Let us know. Uh, You can text one of those three words to that number. And we'd love for you to get baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'd love for you to also join our daily devotional. It's free. We all study the Word of God every day together. I write a devotional. They'll put that up. Just text JOIN to that number. Now, let's, let's pray. Amen. How many of you felt abandoned? Recently. Let me see your hand. You're not. I want you to know that. God loves you. There's not one thing you could ever do to make him forget who you are or turn away and walk away from you. He loves you more than you will ever possibly know. More than you could ever possibly know. I want us to pray for one another right now. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Am I the only one? Anybody else feel the nearness of God in this building? Then raise both of your hands now. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to minister to every person who is here. I ask you to minister to every individual. Every one of these who need a breakthrough. There's somebody going through a storm on the sea of their life right now. And I'm asking you, God, 
to say peace be still to somebody in this very service and cause the wind to abate, cause the wind to calm, cause the the waves to stop. God, make the sea settle down. Lord, they are not going to be deterred from their assignment. And if you're one of those going through a storm, raise your hands and say, I will not be deterred from my assignment. It isn't working, enemy. It isn't working. God's hand is on my life. I have a purpose. I am here for a reason. I will not stop until that purpose is completed. Hallelujah. 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 I feel the presence of the Lord really moving. Would you, would you sing, Duran and Tracy? I just feel God ministering, reaching out to wrap his arms around somebody. Let the Lord embrace you right now. Hallelujah.